Welcome to the Mercy Cast, where we are learning the art of compassion through the adversity of life. I'm your host, Raleigh Sadler. Today, I want to talk about learning creativity through adversity. When my book came out in 2019, I was on top of the world. I was super excited. I had created for me what was one of the more beautiful pieces of work that I had ever done. And I was very proud of it. But after that, I started living in light of my past successes. I was afraid to create. And now I started living in fear. For many of us, there are times where we stop creating for all the wrong reasons. Life can hit us. Things can get difficult. And then we stop doing the things that recharge us. We stop doing the things that help us grow as people. Jason was burned out. As a creative helping others to be creative, He felt himself hitting a wall. He questioned whether he could keep doing the work. So he decided to take a step back. And rather than helping others be creative, he wanted to focus on his own creativity. Jason DeMeo is an entrepreneur and artist. He is the co-founder of We Are Curio, a creative studio helping people and organizations stay innovative. He's also the co-founder of iRox Living, which focuses on luxury stays based on human-centered design, and he's pioneering the artistic movement known as synthesism. Jason, thanks for joining me today. Hey, man. Thanks for having me. This is great. So I love this, and I love that we're having this conversation because it is so hard when you hit that wall to keep on going. It's like, When the thrill is gone and we lose the why of what we were doing, it's very easy to just think, well, maybe that was it. Maybe I should move into another sphere. Yeah. When you were going through this, how did you get the love back? Mm. Yeah, that's a great question. I feel like I'm kind of just getting the love back. 2019 was when this kind of happened. I started pulling back from the We Are Curio work, pulling back from the client work, like you said, helping others be creative. And I was just feeling like I need to do something less in my head and more physically. I needed to like work with materials. I needed to make some real art. So started doing that. And um, I've been doing that for about four or five years now. And we, we still have some clients here and there. We have workshops that we do, but we're just kind of doing, not, I'm not saying we did great. We're doing great work with We Are Curio. We're just not doing as much of it. We, we had a lot of clients. And so, I think just scaling back was really important for me, finding some space for myself where I could be creative, where I could do my own thing, have my control over the creativity. And then that space, I think, created some new space for me to say, you know what? I actually miss working with people, not just creating like a hermit in my studio. I like being around people, helping them realize their full potential. And so that just, I guess, getting on my own led me back to the We Are Curio work. So you mentioned a shift, this idea that you are going and you're teaching, you're consulting, you're helping people mm-hmm. find their lane. But then all of a sudden you're like, but, but I feel like I'm losing yeah. mine. Yeah. And so you go and you start working with your hands. You start creating yeah. yourself. Why do you think working with you know, the physical canvas and doing the work yourself, why do you think that was energizing for you? Yeah. Well, I'm an, we were talking about this earlier. I'm, a, I'm an introvert. And had to do a lot of extroverted work when you're working with clients and doing all this stuff. 
I think one, just being alone in the studio was very helpful for me for reclaiming my sanity, my sense of groundedness. I'm, I'm the type of person who also always feels, and a lot of people are like this, but like you go to the, the beach and you're in the sand and you come back, you're in the water and you're like, man, I feel like a better person. Like, and I think there's something about working with your body and not just your mind. I was doing a lot of like theoretical stuff. And just felt like I had just left my body behind a little bit and hadn't paid much attention to it. So getting into the studio and my the way that I work is pretty messy, pretty, yeah, like aggressive. And like I'm using my whole body, I'm stomping on things, I'm, you know, pulling things up. Even in, in the very beginning, if you go back to my early work, there was some times I was like, I was like, I'm going to punch a canvas. Let me see what this feels like. I was going, <laughs> we were going through, I was going through some stuff. And if you have, if the listeners go back, you'll see, you're like, is Jason okay? He needs therapy. He doesn't need art. <laughs> well, and you had art therapy, right? It, I did. It, it, it's literal art therapy. More than anything. And I've done a lot of therapy. I, I like therapy. I think it's very helpful. I think me doing the art was as helpful in my as as therapy as anything I've probably ever done outside of tennis. Tennis has been very therapeutic for me, but moving my body, it's been helpful. There's something to that, right? Like the idea of moving your body, actually engaging, getting out of your thoughts. Yeah. And sure. Doing something. Yes. That flow state. Yeah. Yeah. And when you describe a flow state, what do you mean exactly? Yeah. I think it's just like you said, where you're out of your thoughts, but you're kind of I don't know. You're, you're collaborating with what is happening in the present moment rather than, you know, thinking through a plan for what you're going to do. You're just allowing your natural talents, your cultivated talents, your vision to just be in that moment and then allowing universe, spirit of God, you know, whatever it is, like just being present with that energy that's happening right there. And not knowing exactly what's going to come out of it, but just kind of improvising. That's for me, flow states. It's, I'm, a, I'm a sports guy, so I can notice when I'm in the flow state in the studio and when I'm on the tennis court. And they're the same thing in a way. You know, the old cliche, life's what happens when you're busy making plans. Yeah. And I, I used to like laugh off things like that. But I started thinking recently that presence matters, being yeah. in the moment, not worrying about what you've done in the past or worrying about what you will do in the future, but actually yeah. taking this moment and saying, I'm going to be here. I'm yep. going to be here right now. I'm going to be focused. I'm going to look at the person I'm talking to. Yep. I'm not going to get lost in my thoughts. And I love how you describe this flow state of just being present, yeah. being there. It's so easy for all of us to just be like, oh no, oh no, this is happening or that's happening. Yeah. But just to be in the moment, you never know what God's going to reveal yes. to you. You don't know what you're going to learn. Yep. You don't know what you'll learn about yourself. To me, that is praying without ceasing. Mm. Like when I think about that idea of what the scriptures say to pray without ceasing, it's like being in that flow state where you are so connected to God, to the universe, to yourself, that you're in a conversation with with what's going on around you. So to me, I mean, I say prayers out loud. You know, I think that's great. But there's also this sense of communion. And I think that that's what we're getting like spiritual real quick. But I feel (laughs) like when I think about Jesus, Jesus was probably able to be in that flow state of just presence always. And like 
we're, we get lucky when we're like there in certain moments, but I think life and maturity is about being like that more often. And so art helps me get there. Sports helps me get there. Meditation helps me get there. I loved how you even described going to the beach. Yeah. Because for some, going to the beach is a time where you check out. You right. lay on the beach. Yeah. You get sunburnt because you weren't focused. You go to sleep. But you talk about you're present in the sand. You're present in the water. It yeah. makes you come out feeling like a better person. Mm -hmm. And I find this interesting because you're talking about objective realities. You're talking yeah. about sand, the grains. You're talking about water. Yeah. And I met you at your showing of your new release of Matter is Miraculous. Yeah, that was the yes. theme. And so you have this idea of there's like a spirituality or in beauty of matter yeah. and things that don't actually matter to a lot of people. And uh -huh. you're like, no, there's something beautiful here. Yep. Could you describe your work and what you are trying to convey mm -hmm. to the audience? Yeah, I think there's definitely, there's a spiritual principle that I'm not, quite there yet on a belief in the actual matter of the universe that not only do humans which humans are matter but not only god works miracles in the world but i think that god is such an interesting and creative artist that god created a world that is filled with with magic that's filled with with miracles and that you can in a way collaborate with that matter and it can kind of speak to you in different ways. So I'm kind of experimenting with that idea of matter being miraculous and that the things that we put around us, the things that we allow to speak to us, whether it's sand or whether it's art or whether it's interior design, whatever it is, it's like physical things are speaking to us and affecting us. And if you're open to it, if you're in that flow state, you know, like matter can be miraculous, like bushes were burning in the scriptures and donkeys were speaking. And it's like, God uses really boring, normal stuff to speak to us if we can be aware of that. You know, and I think it's interesting when we talk about this idea of going from the thrill is gone to finding our love again. Yeah. And what you're saying is you're looking for miracles in the ordinary. Yes, absolutely. And so like, if there's someone who is like just disenchanted, they're struggling with even finding the will to keep going in their vocation or what have you. How would you tell them to tap into the beauty that is around them at every given moment? Yeah. And it's so hard to do. <laughs> right. Um, but I think it's like, I, I think I would say like, get out of your normal surroundings. I think mm -hmm. that's always helpful for me. You were talking about going on a, a, a pilgrimage. Yeah. I think that we can do these mini pilgrimages through the day um, that might not be as impactful as, you know, some huge th travel thing that you do, but like going on a walk in a new, new place, you know, like just go to a new restaurant, do something that you love. Like that just gets you, I mean, working out's been huge for me. It's like, we go back to this idea of like the body. Um, and if you're feeling stuck, like maybe you need to do something where you don't feel stuck. Maybe you need to go, to a water park and like go down a bunch of slides and yeah. let your body, you know, like, I don't know what it is, but I would say if you're feeling stuck, don't put yourself in the same scenarios that you're in. Like, don't do the same stuff. Like try something new. So mix it up shake a little up, bit, like, shake it up. Yeah, like yeah. Literally, like just literally shake up the energy, the matter that you are, put it in a different space. Listen to 
listen to a different genre of music, go to a concert that like you wouldn't go to, like just do something different and be open in that space. Like no, go into it, say like, man, I'm, I'm going to be open to what the universe, what God might speak to me in this space. When I was in seminary, I remember this professor, he would say, when you brush your teeth today, do it with the other hand. Yeah. Something as simple as that. Mix it up because it almost takes us breaking out of our cycles yeah. of like thought and experience to actually see mm-hmm. what is happening. It's like, yeah. it's that principle of you don't know what you got until it's gone. Yeah. Like if you've gone through a breakup or whatever, sometimes we get used to a certain person and we may not actually see the beauty of who they are. Yeah. But once they're gone and we're experiencing life in a different way, it's hard because we're yeah. like, oh man, there's... There's, there's a hole there. Yep. I was, I had this and I missed it. Yeah, for sure. And I think in a very real way, there is beauty and amazing things happening around us all the time. But when yeah. we put our blinders on and we're so focused on one thing, then we miss all the invitations that God may be giving yeah. that are existing for us to where we can really contribute and experience life in a brand new way. So good. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's the, that's the work. I think like that's the work of an artist too, is just like letting the things around you speak to you so that you can translate them into your art or whatever it is. So, yeah. Well, and I love how with your work, you scale back and rather than like training people to be creative, you're going, you're saying, I want to focus on my own creativity. Yeah. And then you do five of them. This is pre pandemic 2019 and you, you put them out there on social media and people start responding. Yeah. You know, this one person once asked me, he said, do you want to know how you're being called? I was wanting to be a pastor at the time. So he said, get yourself a job in a local church when your phone starts ringing, that's when you're being called. <laughs> yeah. And I've noticed sometimes there's this external call of when we start doing something and people take notice, Yeah, it kind of fuels the fire. Mm-hmm. But then there are other things that we've attempted to do where there was nothing. And maybe we were supposed to persevere in that. Sure. Or maybe maybe that wasn't what we were supposed to do. Maybe we we're supposed to tweak it a little bit or try something yeah. new. But you almost have an immediate response. There's yeah. like a, a call and response. Like people are like, yes, yes, uh-huh. you are doing something good. Uh-huh. And so what kind of started as a almost a hobby to kind of recenter yes. you <laughs> has become really your main yeah. occupation. Yeah. Yeah. It's been a it's definitely been a journey. And then there comes a whole bit with that, too, where it's like, OK, now I'm trying to make some money with it. And then that kind of, is that tainting the work? You know, how do I keep this as a a space that I still feel that sense of wonder and creativity and all of that? So yeah, I just, I feel like I I was thinking about something else that maybe kind of bridges the gap between the first question about like, what should people do that are stuck? And then like my art kind of taking off. There's a couple books. There's a series of books by a guy named Austin Kleon. Have you heard of Austin Kleon? He wrote um, Feel Like an Artist, uh, Show Your Work, and then there's one other that he did. And all those books really were really impactful for me too. Really short reads, but Show Your Work was really powerful for me too because it was like, well, if you believe in something and you enjoy doing it, like put yourself out there and like let other people respond to it. So that was a big part of my practice was like, okay, I'm going to show people who I am and people, yeah, responded to it. And so now, you know, I've got galleries and different things going on and shows. And it's amazing because you start this and people start responding and then you're honestly finding and discovering your purpose too. Yeah. 
Because I think that's something that's yeah. very key to self-esteem is like yeah. actually knowing your purpose. Like when we, oftentimes when we lose the love of something, we also don't know it, but we've also lost purpose. We're yeah. like, why am I doing this? You and I had talked about how we were both pastors at one point yep. and then how we were both consulting and how we had both gone through seasons where we lost the love of what we did until we started creating again. Yes. And I think there's something to to kind of go the spiritual route. There's something divine about creating. Yeah. Regardless of how you create, giving back to the world, uh-huh. creating something beautiful, whatever that is. It could be speaking, it could be art, yep. it could be design, it could it could be anything. Mm-hmm. But giving back. Yeah. Helps us, I think, tap into our purpose. Would you yeah. agree, disagree? What are your no, thoughts? No, I agree. And I, I really connect with that with the We Are Curious stuff too, because it was like in the beginning, it was like exciting. Like mm-hmm. we loved creating these workshops for people. We loved helping people figure out, you know, how to be more innovative and creative. Yeah. And we're coming up with the four stages and the new mindsets. And it's like, we love this. And then, like, yeah, like four years in, we're just kind of running that algorithm of the workshops and the consulting. And it just starts feeling like, there's nothing new that I'm creating. I'm just kind of running an algorithm here. And yeah, I, you, I think at that point you either need to like step away or create something new. And maybe I could have created something new inside of We Are Curio, but for whatever reason, I was led outside of that for a while to create so that now I can come back a couple years later and feel like, man, I'm fresh. I want to create something new for people on the We Are Curio side that incorporates some of the learnings that I've got over here. So yeah, it becomes fresh again. And then I think sometimes, I don't know if this is a human thing. This is definitely a Jason thing, but I do things for about four to five years and I, I stall out like, or I just like get disinterested. Yeah. So I think of like, I, I graduated college, worked at Geico for five years, did like sales, corporate America, all of that. Got bored with that, became a pastor, did that for five years. Then I started We Are Curio, did that for about five years, and I was like burning out at the end of this. And I'm like, okay, I've, maybe I should just accept it. And that now I've done art for about five years. And I'm like, uh oh, like I actually, I still want to be an artist. I kind of want to do We Are Curio and I, I want to do this IROC stuff too. So this kind of leads me to this idea of synthesism. I'm trying to synthesize those three things in my life right now, which is messy sometimes. But I think I don't need to do something new right now in my life, although, although I'm at that five-year mark. I, I think I need to synthesize the three things that I'm working on. And that gives me this like creative playground to help others, to have my own creative control over my art, to create spaces for people to heal and to be them uh, the most human they can be in Asheville right now with our two spaces there. So yeah, I feel like now I have these three outlets that can eat each other where I don't necessarily have to be like, ah, I'm burnt out. I quit. We are a curio. I'm going to do something else. Well, and it's funny because so many of us are focused on you're either in or out. You do one thing or the yeah. other. We can't yeah. blend the things that we love. Yeah. And when I started, let my people go. It's for, hard. Yeah. For me, I was like, I'm creating something, but I want to create something that I love. I want to create something that extends from my personality. Yeah. And so much of it was that. But then I did. I started burning out really hard. And after after my book came out and then my apartment burned down and all these things oh. happened, I just, yeah, I just really wrestled with how do I keep going forward? Yeah. And then 
I got scared and I'm like, okay, I'd be, rather than being creative, I became a manager, a manager of my past experiences. And what I love about what you're doing is you're not only synthesizing the things that you love, you're actually pioneering a movement called synthesism yeah, where yeah. you're taking <laughs> like modern ideals and postmodern ideals yeah. and you're bringing them together in your art. Yeah. Could you tell me a little bit about that? Yeah. I mean, I'm definitely like you. I'm a reader. I love reading. I love taking in philosophy, theology, kind of want to be, and it's still sometimes I'm like, maybe I want to be a, like a psychologist someday, like a, yeah. like a counselor. Yeah. I don't like people enough to do it, but I, <laughs> I do. Yeah, yeah, I yeah. like the theories of Freud and of like Adler and, uh, you know, Jung and I, I, all that stuff interests me. So just, I'm a theoretical person. And it's interesting how all those people are also connected to art. Like when yes, you look at like existentialism sure. and, and some of the art that I love yeah. from the modern period. Dali and yeah. Max Ernst, these yeah. guys, they were eating that stuff That's up true. and they were That's translating true. it into yes. paintings and yeah. portraits and I some do, of the most surreal things you'd ever seen. Yep. And I do tell people like, I'm like, if you want to, if you actually are interested in my theology or my philosophy, just like look at my art, like look at the things that I name my paintings, the way that I do art, like it's all, I, I take all those things. That's why I love art because I'm like, I finally have a place to put all these ideas somewhere. And I'm not really a writer. I thought maybe, maybe I'll write a lot. I don't, I don't like writing. I'm not really good at it. Art has been that like inflection point to put all my ideas into. So well, and it was interesting because I remember when I was at your show, there were a couple of things where I knew you were a person of faith, but I didn't, I didn't know what that looked like. Yeah. Yeah. And as I was looking at the titles versus what was on the canvas, there were a couple of moments where I was like, Ooh, like it like hit me like mm. right in the heart. I that's, was like, that's cool. That's where I'm at right now. Yeah. Like I'm like, yeah. And then I'm that's looking beautiful. at the piece and I'm like, okay, so there's a piece here that's there's part of it that's messy, but there's uh, also this beauty. And yeah. I'm going through a season now where I'm finding beauty and difficulty. Yes. And, and rather than just seeing the hard, harsh elements, I'm seeing, well, you know. The texture, the, yeah. Yep. Yeah, part of the reason that you go to the mountaintop is to yeah. see what happened in the valley. Yeah. That's the re you look down into the valley. And so being able to say, wow, like, yeah, I almost had to experience difficulty yeah. to be able to see correctly. And then is that kind of what you've learned even through your own journey with art and focusing on it is you had to hit that wall yeah, to be able to discover who you are and what you're made of? I think that those, those walls that you hit are natural moments for that to happen. I think maybe it's like anybody, if you like, I actually, man, I just, just lost my dad. Like, month ago to ALS and it's like man talk about adversity watching him you know go through that was really hard I'm not sure what will come out of that artistically there's something there and yeah. I, have, I have good close friends who are artists are like hey just pay attention to that like that got like there's going to be something through that adversity that'll probably come out through your art so I think that that's natural that like artists translate and transmute pain and like that emotion. So I think all of those painful times in life are really, yeah, ripe for you to create something new. But then also there's been times in life when I'm just really like rocking and like doing good. 
And like, I think about like my marriage is in like a really beautiful spot right now, my family and like those emotions are just as powerful as those, like the dark side or the more challenging side. So I think that it's just all material. It's all like, yeah, like there's a color palette needs the darker shades and it needs the lighter shades. It's like, there's no, both of them need each other. So yeah. 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 And it's, it's interesting because as someone who, and I'm, I'm sorry to hear about your loss, man. I I know, I mean, I don't know exactly what that experience is like. I know I've watched my mother deal with her own issues for years. And there's something about experiencing pain when there's nothing you can do. Mm, Yeah. That is shaping. That is formative. Yes. And that I think breeds authenticity. Yeah. Bigger capacity for, like you said, compassion. Yeah. Cause we're trying to figure out, it's like you get a bunch of black paint and you're like, what yeah. do I do with this black paint? Yeah. Like I got to yeah. do something with it because yes. the weight, That's the so weight good. is hurting me. Mm. And then finding how to channel that, like I think that expands us. So good. I was actually recently in Houston and the Rothko chapels there. Mark mm. Rothko is one of my, favorite artists and he's favorite of a lot of abstract people. Yeah. Uh, are you familiar with? Mark? Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. So Rothko chapel is all black paintings. And I mean, they're like, you know, 40 feet high and 20 feet wide. And it's just a chapel of these black paintings around you. And man, it's super spiritual and like just a great place to go and like feel some heaviness, shed some tears, you know? So, I mean, Rothko created, I mean, he had a lot of pain in his life, but yeah, I think that it's just as valuable. And so as you're sitting in this chapel, surrounded by these brilliant pieces yeah. by Rothko that are just black. Yeah. What connects for you in that moment? Yeah. Well, I mean, knowing a little bit of Rothko's story, it creates like a sense of empathy for me, for the painter that he had a lot of darkness in his life. I think that's, you know, one of the most beautiful things about painting is it if you're present, it'll teach you empathy. It'll, it'll allow you to expand that. Like, man, like who is the artist? What were they going through? What are they trying to say with this? So I think there was a a bit of that, like, man, these came out of this man and like, what was he going through that, you know, brought these paintings out. So that there was that, there was just the sense of the like immensity of the, the paintings that was just a little bit like overwhelming. And then I just kind of had like a meditative moment there and it allowed me to connect with God in, in, a, in a great way. So yeah, I think art just has that ability to, to transport you to a different place, to an uncomfortable place. And uh, yeah, it was, and, and it also like, it made me dream bigger too. Like where I was like, man, I got some friends in like Methodist world and like, all, I'm like, maybe someone's got an extra chapel that like, I could do something like Rothko did. Like, so I think, it, that was the other like thought I had. He asked me like sitting there, I thought like, man, maybe I need to create more immersive spaces for spiritual reflection. That'd be cool. So, And what I love about this is this is kind of like a modern meets postmodern approach to the, the cathedral concept yeah. because you go yeah. into any cathedral built anywhere from the 1400s to the 1800s. It's designed to elicit yeah. worship. Yep. And that's why it's so big. And that's yeah. why the stained glass is the way it is. It's yeah. it's to inspire us, to give us a sense of awe, to where 
the medium is the message. Yeah, yeah. And so hearing what you're saying is like putting up your work and helping people see see the light and the dark to see yeah. the grace amidst the difficulty mm-hmm. and to find a place in real life. Because I think that is real life. We can yeah. be Pollyanna and pretend everything's going to be okay. Right. But at the end of the day, we suffer. People die. Yeah. Our bodies stop working yeah. the way they should, yeah. right? It's like pain is real. Uh-huh. But I found that beauty always goes hand in hand yes. with it if we're willing to look. Yep. That's beautiful. I love that. I don't know that I have a better comment on it. That was just a good statement. Like, yeah, I, I do think they're right. They're right there. There's always that like, yeah, there's always gold. And I don't know if you're familiar with maybe Kintsugi, the idea of mending with gold. There's an artist, Makoto Fujimura, one of my favorite artists and a just great person. Great guy. Just, uh, his writings are amazing, but he talks a lot. And I use gold in my paintings a lot too, but this idea of like, where there's mistakes or where there's brokenness or where there's, it's like sometimes you can mend it with gold and it becomes even more beautiful that it was broken. So, yeah. Well, it's interesting because when I first met you, I, oh, that's right. I saw that you were using gold you in your paintings. gave me this amazing, uh, yeah. And I was like, I, was I look like, at you and your wife and I'm like, you know, I don't, I don't want to come across as the cocky New Yorker <laughs> guy who's like seeing whatever, but I see an influence of Mako Fujimura. Uh, like, I really see that present in your paintings. Would he be an influence? And you're like, first of all, that's not a bad thing at all. No. Like, no. I love Mako. Mako's amazing. And <laughs> no. I, saw, I saw his unveiling in New York of the Golden Sea. Oh. And this was, it's a massive painting that yeah. just the beauty and just to see him talk about it. Yeah. Because art is, it's not just about what the artist did. It's about what, what responses are yes. elicited. And yes. What happens? Does our heart skip a beat? Do we have to sit down and focus? I love the aspect of how art can refocus us. Yep. And it trains us to be present. I remember advice from an art historian named Dan Seidel. And me and a friend of mine were asking him, we were like, so, you know, when we go into the Met, we get this museum brain thing that happens. Like we burn out. We're like tired after an hour and a half. and We just want to go eat a pizza or something. And he's like, that's why they put benches in there. Yeah. Sit down, take a deep breath and stare. Take it all in. Yeah. And sit there for as long as you need to. And that's really transformed the way that I view art now because I used to feel like I had to collect everything. Mm-hmm. I had to do a mental collection of, I got to see this, got to see that. Now, when I go to the Met, I'll walk in and I'll just sit down in front of one or two pieces. Yeah. And just stare. Yeah. For 20 minutes and look at, you know, the different, shading or the color grades or whatever and just really just try to capture like what's happening and then pay attention to what I'm experiencing and even though I'm just looking at art I'm being present with the art I'm Mm -hmm. experiencing it I'm I'm in this moment and I don't know for me it always challenges me yeah I I can't think I, I have like a little like mantra not mantra but I, I came up with this thing that i just can't remember it right now but like supplied implied i had something else too but my idea here is that i as an artist imply what i want you to think about the art i right. give it a meaning i give i give it a title i i try to convey some meaning with color and with all this stuff i imply these things to the viewer but then i like that i think the best art allows you to supply your own 
read of the painting too. And so this idea that like, yeah, we're having a conversation, even though Van Gogh's not there, you, you're having a, a conversation with Van Gogh's work or whoever's work. And I think that that's like really sacred, interesting space right there that art can create for reflection and all of that. So yeah, I mean, I think creativity, the arts is a huge part of spirituality. So yeah, it's like you have that implied, like what you want the person to get. Yes. But then they may get something completely different. Totally different. It's an amazing, it's amazing. There's people that are like, they'll say, oh my gosh, I see this in your work. And I'll be like, how did I not see that? Like that was, it's right there. And they'll be like, oh, I saw it because of this. And this is like, this is amazing. Like we are collaborating on meaning really is what we're doing. Well, and earlier today we were talking about some of the art that's yeah. in my apartment and I have a lot of circles. Yes. I am really into circles, moons, <laughs> celestial objects. And I don't know if I've ever really processed why, but yeah, even though it's simple and it's a shape that we're, we're used to seeing, uh -huh. yeah. for me, there's something transcendent about it. And I found that like, I have a lot of circles everywhere. Yeah, <laughs> it's yeah. like, and I, I don't think I really put it together until you and I were talking and yeah. you as the artist, you're like, all right, so I wonder what, there's a theme. Maybe. Yeah. Yeah. What, what about that? Because I remember the thing I gravitated to most in your work was this circle. Yeah. That's cool. And I was just like, this is gorgeous. This is amazing. What? You know, it's <laughs> like, but yeah, it's, it's. There's something that the audience can respond to. And, and I think yeah. God can speak through art. I think. Yeah, for sure. Like there, there's that presence. Yes. But it's not just telling one story. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm not trying to be too Derrida about this, but like there is, there's something that like we imply, but then. Yeah. The reader can also, or the reader, the yeah. person responding to it. They may get something else. And I think, I think what matters for me with art is just that we're interacting. Yeah. And then I like to research it and be like, well, what was yes. the implied thing? Yeah. And did I get it? Yes. <laughs> you know, I'm the same with music too. Like I'm a big, I'm into hip hop a lot. And so I like knowing what the artist is saying and why they're saying it. I mean, I feel like hip hop has been a great place for me to grow my empathy and like understand a, a different culture. And so I'm always like, yeah, researching and like all that, but also all of Kendrick's albums, yeah, all of them have spoke to me in a prophetic way about my personal situation. And my life is not like Kendrick Lamar's. Like, you know, it, it's like, so Kendrick has this way of communicating his story that is so hyper personal, but then somehow it's, it's universal that I can now see myself in these lyrics of someone who is living a very different life than me. And I think that's like great artistry. Well, and I feel the same way about the hip hop artist NF, like his yeah. work. Like he can talk about these very vulnerable things about himself. Yeah. And then it's almost an invitation for you to be willing to open up about your own vulnerability. Yes. And, and I, I think, I think that's, that's cool. what I love about art, whether it's on canvas yeah. or on a cassette. I just needed another C. I was a Baptist pastor for a very long <laughs> yeah, time. Gotta have that. I needed the alliteration, yeah. <laughs> but, but, or a CD, that's a little bit more modern than cassette, <laughs> but, but it's coming back. Cassettes are coming back. So yeah. we're good. But yeah, there's that invitation uh -huh. to respond. Which I feel like is, we're talking about church. We were talking about church earlier. It's like, 
I think that's where we miss it. Now, it's not that we always miss it because church creates these moments of response and worship where I'm like, man, this is beautiful. I'm present. I am singing with a bunch of people and, and I'm in this moment. But a lot of times with the preaching, it's like there's not a lot of openness for response. There's not a lot of collaborative space there. So, I mean, that's just a personal thing that I'm like, I would love to see churches become more artistic and that they are inviting, they're presenting something that has meaning, but we're not all quite a hundred percent sure on that exact meaning because it's, it's so big and it's so mysterious, but we're going to present it and allow you to interact with it. And we were talking earlier about contemplation and mystery that is an inherent aspect of Christianity. And it's interesting because so much of the church since its inception has been focused on artistic expression. Yeah, which is beautiful. But in a lot of ways, I feel like we're getting away from that. No, I agree. It's like, yes, preaching the gospel is paramount. It's important. And and some pastors, speakers have an art to their speaking, which I get that. That's important as well. Like I, yes, preach the gospel. Yeah. But I also don't want to lose art because that's another way to proclaim the gospel. It's another way to proclaim truth. Yeah, for sure. And it's another way just to point to- It's a gateway too. It's it's an entryway. And anytime I feel like you're describing life. Yeah. And you're you're showing the different tones, the the dark and the light. Yeah. Beauty is there. And I think I'm a big Francis Schaeffer fan and I definitely buy into the idea that all truth is God's truth. Yeah. And so really being able to show that through an artistic medium is huge. Yes. And I don't want to lose that. Yeah. Yeah. There's a, and I, I'm so glad it just hit me. I've been thinking about this through our conversation. There's a, a word by one of my friends. Her name's Roberta Amundsen. She's a major art collector, an incredible historian of the church also. And she talks a lot about this word called hierotopy. Hmm. And it's the idea of that everything in a space, almost like in a way like feng shui, but that everything in a space is communicating. And so this is this was the job of a lot of people in ancient churches was to think through hierotopically how people will connect to God as they come in. And, and at four o'clock, the light comes down in this area and it shines on this relic and it you know, it's like they were thinking more immersively than most churches do now, which is like welcome, worship, music, speaking, offering. It's like, okay, well, those are ways that people can connect to God and that's great. But like, are we actually thinking about the entire space? And I did think we have become with light. I was trying to give the benefit of the doubt to a lot of modern evangelical spaces. I'm like, they are using light to create beauty. A lot of times it's in the space that's like a, a black box. But I do see it, it depending on the denomination, they do it in different ways. But I think it's still there. But I think we're kind of losing a little bit of that like beauty. I was part of a church once that their motto was doing church differently. It was, you know, in the 2000s, that was yeah. the focus. And we used to joke around and say, no, it's doing church darkly because we made sure to, yeah. to have the darkest sanctuary and then candles yeah but even in that you're trying to show this contrast contrast, of light and dark yeah and so 
I've really enjoyed this conversation. I love how we've talked about how in your own story, you burned out, you were struggling. Yeah. And then you focus on working with your body. You weren't just alone with your thoughts. You were actually using your hands. You're getting your hands dirty. You're discovering that matter is miraculous and you're in this flow state. You're being present. And it's like this idea of when you stop creating, you kind of miss living and you Mm -hmm. start synthesizing everything. You start to find the things that you love and you're connecting them and you're finding pathways to be able to be you, but do all the things that you want to do and that you desire. And it's not lost on me that as you're doing this, you're also pioneering a work. You're creating you're creating your own lane, really. And I think mm-hmm. that's amazing. This idea of synthesism, how you are synthesizing modern art as well as postmodern art, and you're yeah. bringing it together on one canvas. And you almost see your wall as a natural transition. And as many of us, as we experience walls, we're able to see this is an opportunity. It's an invitation yeah. for me to be present. It's a, good. an opportunity for me to see how the darkness and the light actually create this beautiful canvas upon where my life can be on display. Mm-hmm. And yes, it's watching family members suffer, experiencing our own suffering is dreadful, mm. but there's a beauty that can come during it, yeah. after it, before it, where we cling to the beauty, yeah. but we wouldn't cling to the beauty so tightly yeah. had we not dealt with the pain. For sure. And so as our listeners are processing our conversation, Jason, what are three things that you would give them to really think through? Three things as they're processing how to figure out how to be creative in light of adversity. Yeah. Mm. In light of adversity. I think just, just your rhythms are really important as a person. So, so that you have these you know, daily rhythms, weekly rhythms, quarterly rhythms that reinforce you and your creative spirit, whether you're on a high or whether you're on a low, uh, that's been really helpful for me. Some of those, this is just practically have been tennis. Like I play right two, three times a week that helps me move my body. I do a a practice called Qigong every morning. (laughs) It's a ancient Chinese meditative practice. It's, it's where you wake up each muscle in your body and I'm going to describe it not as good as whoever is a Qigong master, probably embarrassing myself. But the idea, I think, is that you wake up your body by kind of like almost like little little punches <laughs> on your muscles and you kind of like do it all around. And I'm kind of as I'm doing it, I'm really thankful for, man, my hands are working today. My my arms are working and like. I, Sounds I, like it's breeding gratefulness as well. It, there's a there's an aspect of gratitude in that, too, of just like meditativeness. I, I do like. I smell different essential oils while I'm doing this. It's like I'm trying to awaken everything that's great about my human body. And so for me, that, that helps me when I am doing good. And it also helps me when I'm really struggling. And I remember you know, doing, going through that um, routine when my dad was going through some stuff. And yeah, man, it, it, it helped just ground me and recenter me. So I think paying attention to your body is really important. I've done some somatic therapy which is kind of therapy, but it allows you to, I don't know if you've ever heard of the book, The Body Keeps the Score. Mm -hmm. Like it's kind of like in that vein where if if your right shoulder's hurting, like it might actually be speaking to you. (laughs) Like 
is it is it because you play tennis too much or is there something that like your body's trying to say about life that you can use that as a place of personal reflection so somatic therapy's been super helpful for me i, I wrote down here that just a rearranging your space like making your space more inspiring more calm more just yeah make your space really more inspiring and then like just try something like start small prototype don't feel like you have to become i didn't i didn't set out to be an artist i set out to just make some paintings because i knew i needed to do something so just try something start something new rearrange your space and then maybe do something with your body and i love how you mentioned rhythms and routines cuz that's something that we've talked about a lot yeah. on this podcast is finding things that you can do to where you don't necessarily need a motivation to get it done. It just becomes yeah. part of what you do. Like yes. every morning I do this. Yep. You know, and I'm not the type of person who is great at that. So no, if I me can either. build these <laughs> things into my life, I'm still working on it. It's not like I've got these down perfect, but yeah, I'm, I'm a very, I've struggled with discipline and, and I, the more discipline I've added to my life, obviously the better. <laughs> well, and I think it's so cool because you go from rhythms and routines to rearranging your space and trying something new. Yeah. It's yep. like, we need both. Yes, totally. And it's very easy to get kind of stuck in ruts. Uh-huh. And I think the ruts are destroyed when you're like, what is something I want to try? Uh-huh. I may be good at it. I may be terrible at it, but we're going to see. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm just going to explore it. And I think that's the creative spark. Yes. I think that's the piece. Uh huh. And I feel like for me, that comes when I least expect it. And it often flies in the face of fear. And it's when I just trust that voice and I say, I'm going to do it. Yeah. That that's when I feel like I'm living. Yeah. And so Jason, thanks so much for for talking about this with me. I loved it. I loved the conversation and yeah, thanks for having me. If you are interested in more conversations like this one, buy my book, Vulnerable Rethinking Human Trafficking. If you want bonus episodes, as well as a plethora of other resources, become a paid member at lmpg.org for $10 a month. You will get access to our bonus podcast, More Mercy, where we dive deeper. Also, don't forget to hit that subscribe button and leave MercyCast a five-star review. We want to hear from you, so you can email us at info at mercycast.com. Till next time, have mercy on yourselves and each other.